Hey everybody, it's Jamie Dew. And I'm Joe Fondo. Welcome back again to our podcast, Towel in the Basin. That's right. So this is sort of a continuation of our last episode in that I have a question that's kind of comes out of the last one. Mm-hmm. So the last episode we did looked at miracles, like why do they happen, why do they not happen, and so forth, and you talked right. about that. Um, and, and you gave some great resources and books at the end. So if somebody hasn't listened to that, it'd be great to go back and listen to that as well after you're mm-hmm. done with this one. So here's a question that you kind of referenced in the other one, and I and I have this question still in my mind. So this is about like the hiddenness of God. You, you right. said that a few times. Mm-hmm. And so here's my question. Why don't we see God and by extension miracles mm-hmm. like they did in the Bible? I mean, yeah. at least from my point of view, I, I don't think I've ever seen a miracle. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great question. I think uh, I, I don't want to deny that there are, in fact, some people that experience miracles, even by the definition that I gave in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that there's again, I mentioned the Craig Keener two volume set where he just outlines a tremendous amount of information and data. I have known friends that have experienced very clear things. I've experienced a few things in my life that I would be pretty doggone close to put in the category of miracle. Um, and I'm just amazed by what happened and I don't have any physiological or, or scientific explanation for, um, but it is very rare. And so I'm glad we're doing this follow-up podcast because there is this other big issue out there called the hiddenness of God. Now, again, as I mentioned this, most philosophers of religion, when they deal with hiddenness, they put it in with the problem of evil. I'll give you two examples of that. In a book that I did years ago with, with Chad Meister called God and Evil, uh, it's a book on the problem of evil, but we deal with hiddenness in that that book. Uh, in the book I mentioned in the last podcast, Philosophy, a Christian introduction that I did a couple years ago with Paul Gould, Paul wrote the chapter on the problem of evil, and the second half of that chapter deals with the hiddenness of God. So that's the normal way that this issue comes up. And I, I, it's perfectly legitimate to deal with it that way because it is a subset of the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Having said that, in my mind, my responses to this problem go, they dovetail with my understandings of miracles and why it is that God would do these things in the first place. The question is, why didn't this happen? And part of my answer is because the very thing you're looking for by its very nature is not the kind of thing that's supposed to be happening a whole lot. Mm. And that's because of the way I understand miracles. So I tend to bring these two things together in my understanding. Um, so let's let's first of all just get square on what the problem is and where mm-hmm. the anxiety comes from. Mm-hmm. I do think now there's a lot of believers that may bristle at the very question, like, what do you mean where's God and you know he's hiding from us? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that there's a version of this that even devout Christians, faithful, God-loving Christians could appreciate and understand and and it, and it perhaps even felt and struggled with. And so I'll speak to that. Um, so the atheist would argue something like this. John Schellenbergen, for example, would say things like that if God exists, then reason and, and God is all loving. If the God of the Bible that's supposed to be all loving, if that God existed, he says reasonable non-belief should not exist. What that means is there are people that don't believe, but if God existed, they would be irrational for not believing. Um, but they are irrational in their non-belief. So this is a problem. Why? His point is simply this, is that if God, if I can put it this way, if God is, in fact, the big deal that Christianity says he is, then wouldn't he be more obvious to us if he loves us? If that God loves us, created us, 
has a plan for us and loves us, wouldn't he want to make himself more evident to us and more obvious to us? And so he's inclined to think that if God were really to exist, then he should be so clear to us like this, like this blueness in the sky that he would make himself obvious that way. And the fact that that doesn't happen is a real problem for theism. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so there are the there are these arguments now that exist that are called hiddenness arguments that are uh, suggesting that that Christian theism has this major problem. So that's the kind of thing that an atheist is going to say. Mm-hmm. I think Christian will struggle with this issue in a different way, but I think at the core of it, it's the same issue. And the 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 Christian is going to deal with it the same way we talked about in the last podcast and even this one. Like, well, my gosh. I read the scriptures and God seems to show up and intervene and do stuff like that every single day in the lives of people. And then in our lives, that just doesn't happen. I pray and I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and I don't feel like God is hearing me or responding to me. And it's in that kind of existential struggle that I think I think Christians are, are essentially struggling with this hiddenness question. In both cases, the question is being asked, why don't we see God doing stuff in our lives more often? That's the question. Yeah, exactly. and I think look, that is indeed a question that um, not only we, but I think throughout the history of God's people, God's people have struggled with that question. I mean, read the Psalms, for example. I mean, <laughs> the psalmist yeah. will ask questions like, "How long, O Lord? You know, be not far from me." Um, even in the New Testament, there were people that struggled with the seeming lack of engagement that Jesus would have. Now, granted, in that case, it was only for a couple of days in Lazarus's case, but that's the question they ask him when he finally shows up in John 11 to Lazarus's death. The question that they ask him is, Lord, where were you? Yeah. And, um, you know, so all that to say throughout the history of God's people, there've been a little bit of wonder about this and, and head scratching as to why it is that God doesn't seem to interact the way that we would want him to. Even in C.S. Lewis's works, for example, uh, in Chronicles of Narnia, notice that Aslan does not, he's not around them all the time. And and they don't always understand his comings and goings. And, you know, so I think it's a, you know, understandable that people would wonder about this question. All right. There's the issue. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. All right. So how do we respond to that? There's a variety of different ways that people have responded to all of this. And I, think that some of these have some merit, but I don't know that any one of them really completely feeds the bulldog, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe each of them gives us a little bit of insight and is a little bit helpful, but doesn't completely solve the question. Mm-hmm. Some people have said things like, well, um, some people have, have sort of doubled down and said, no, God is interacting with us and God does show up. And, and they try to act as if they can marshal evidence that God shows up in their life all the time in the same way that it kind of feels like he does in the the old new Testament that I do. Here's what's good about that. I think that there are indeed things from our lives as Christians that we can point to that God does. And we should be very eager to share those and willing to share those with the world around us. Okay. Um, But at the same time, for a lot of people, this just rings of an intellectual dishonesty that mm-hmm. trying to make something there that's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know how fruitful that pathway is going to be. You have some mm-hmm. responses that are going to say something to the effect of, well, yes, of course God is distant from us in a sense, 
because if he were to be around us more vividly and more strongly and more regularly, it would be to our harm. Mm-hmm. And it could be to our harm in one of two ways. It could be a harm physically, like in the Old Testament, you're not allowed to see God lest you die and things like that. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a harm to you because it would make you spiritually lazy. You'd take it mm-hmm. for granted mm-hmm. and hunger and thirst for God and seeking God and longing for God would not develop. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go this route, I like the second way of doing that better than the first. Mm-hmm. I just have a hard time saying, well, if you're around us, it might kill us because my goodness gracious, what do you do with the incarnation at that point? You know, mm-hmm. um, but the spiritual longing and groaning and things like that for God. Okay, sure. There, there does seem to be, even as you read the Psalms, note the effect that the seeming distance from God that the psalmists often feel. Note the effect that that has on them. What did it do to them? What did it generate within them? It generated within them a real hunger, a real thirst for God. And that's healthy. That's good. So perhaps it is that God does at times let us feel a distance. And in result of that, our hearts are kindled stronger and greater uh, Mm -hmm. for him, a a greater hunger and thirst. I don't like that necessarily, but that does seem to be what goes on sometimes. And at the end of the day, while I may not like it, the hunger and thirst in my heart for God, little though it may be, I'm grateful for. And I couldn't have generated that myself. I couldn't have just turned a switch on, oh, desire God more. I can't do that. God has to be at work in my life, even through things like distance at times, to help me cultivate that and grow that. Yeah. So I think that these are some, what I'd call some partial answers. I, I'm not particularly convinced on this. Uh, here's how I think through it. And this ties back to my understanding of miracles. Maybe... Maybe, yeah, maybe we're just in a moment of history, a season of history, and it's a very long season. It's 2,000 years, for example. Um, Maybe we are in just a moment of history wherein this is not what's normal, right? And the way I think about this is I call this a bit of an eschatological response in that I understand God's, the kind of interaction we're looking for in all of this is the very kind of interaction that by its nature is not going to show up very often. Mm -hmm. There are going to be moments in history where it happens for sure. Um, But it won't necessarily be the norm. So to start this, let me give some categories again that we did in the last podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I'll give you a metaphor to understand all these things in. Okay. Uh, the, the, The categories are these, how the question is, how does God interact with the world? I'd give you a couple categories. Miraculous. Miraculous Mm -hmm. intervention is one way. That's what we're really looking for here, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Providential interaction. That's another way. Ontological interaction. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. Spiritual interaction, right? Convicting of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, guiding us in truth and such. And then last of all, bodily incarnation, the the bodily presence, right? The incarnation Mm -hmm. did that, right? So these are at least five ways. Maybe there are more. But there are at least five ways that I can see just real quick out of Scripture that God interacts with his world. Okay, Mm -hmm. those are the ways Now, think about each of those ways of interacting as a different kind of tool that could be used to accomplish purposes. All right. And here's the metaphor. Imagine that I bought I call it the building of the house metaphor. Imagine that I bought a strip of land with a bunch of trees on it. And my goal, the end that I seek for that land is to build a house. Here's what I would do. 
Phase one, I'd bring in chainsaws and bulldozers. And I'd cut down the trees and I'd bulldoze the stumps out of the ground and I'd flatten the land and I'd, I'd level the land and I'd grade the land. That's phase one. Mm-hmm. What do you see in phase one? You see chainsaws and bulldozers. Mm-hmm. And then in phase two, what do you do? You bring in a backhoe and you build the foundation, you dig the foundation, you pour the concrete, and then you bring in the mason that brings in the, the brick or the stone that's going to lay the foundation. And then in phase three, you bring in the framers and they frame out the house with the two by fours and two by eights and pl- uh, plywood and, and such. In phase four, you bring in plumbers and electricians and such, and then ciders and roofers and then painters and then all of those things. Now, I could go phase, 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 phase for all of that, but here's what I want you to see. The various phases of the building of that, that house require different kinds of tools, right? You have, at the mm-hmm. beginning, bulldozers and chainsaws, but when you get sheetrock on the walls, you're not using chainsaws to smooth the wall. <laughs> When you get to painting, you're not using chainsaws. And likewise, when you're at the very beginning, you don't use paintbrushes to knock down trees and to level ground. You just don't. The point of the metaphor is this. At various stages and phases of the unfolding of that house, you the the builder is going to utilize different tools along the way. Mm-hmm. Now, in, I'm not – now, this – kind of may sound a little bit like dispensationalism and that's not where I'm trying to go with this, but I do think across the span of history from the moment of creation to the end in the eschaton, when God brings his kingdom, it is as though God is starting from scratch, so to speak, and unfolding throughout history, his plan and building his kingdom. And what I would want to say is that along the way, if we understand those ways that God interacts with his world, providential, miracle, ontological, spiritual, and incarnation, Clearly, then, there are certain modes in which God is going to interact with his world in, right? In the incarnation, that's a very specific way that God chose to interact with his world. In the time of Jesus and then right after Jesus, miracles are happening like crazy. I think it's because in that moment of history, that snapshot of history that you're seeing in the Bible— just so happens to be a snapshot of history where God has to do work to do what? How did I define a miracle? To confirm a person, to confirm a message, to confirm offices like apostle and prophets and things like Mm -hmm. that. So therefore, miracles accompanied those things because the very confirmation process that's unfolding right there requires it. Mm -hmm. In places and times in history like the Red Sea, for example, when man, if God doesn't do a miracle right there, then the bloodline of Jesus gets snuffed out. So Mm -hmm. here's my my takeaway. There are some moments and seasons in history that it seems to me would necessarily require that very kind of interaction, okay? Mm -hmm. Once those seasons are kind of over, that's not what's normal. Now, it doesn't mean, let me be real clear about this, that doesn't mean that there couldn't still be times and places where this does happen. Look, when a brother or sister comes to me and and has experienced something that's a miracle, I'm inclined to believe that they really experienced a miracle, assuming that we're talking about the suspension of the laws of nature and some stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I absolutely believe that God could still do it. I mean, like in the metaphor, once the house is built, does that mean we never again use a chainsaw? No. It's right. just we, we don't use them every day. Does exactly. that mean that we, got, we would never again use a paintbrush? No. It just means we might not use them every day, right? Yeah. The snapshot of Scripture are in moments where we, where history is in a phase where that very message in person has to be confirmed in a unique way. Yeah. Interestingly, the places in the world where you see miracles happening, now Hume would say it's where the poorly educated are, right? 
Uh, again, I said in the last podcast, I think that's just profoundly arrogant. But the other thing I could say in response to that is, yeah, those are also today where the gospel is unfolding for, in many cases, the first time. And what happens? God acts in ways to confirm his message again mm-hmm. and again and again. Once we get a New Testament and the canon is closed, the message has been delivered to us. And I'm inclined to think, therefore, that, um, wow, that explains why we saw so many, we saw an uptick, a big uptick, if you will, in the frequency of those things happening during the development of all of that. I just, so mm-hmm. I, it's a bit of an eschatological response. Yeah, I think you have to understand our moment we're in now against the backdrop of the whole thing. And um, maybe this helps us make sense of, of the difference we see. Yeah, that, that definitely helps because in, in my mind, I see almost a, uh, a simple linear kind of thing. There's no difference between now and then. I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but my sort of knee-jerk reaction is, well, this is the same as then fundamentally, right. but this metaphor of stages and building and so forth is actually very helpful for me. Well, uh, for me, I, I'm glad it's helpful and I hope it is for others as well. I just think uh, maybe all of that to say we could simply note that um, it is unusual to see these things happening. I don't think yeah. that takes anything away from our faith at all. Because again, we're not saying that it can't happen and doesn't happen in times. It's just saying it's not the norm because miracles are by their very nature, not the norm. There have been moments yeah. in history where God was doing something unique towards the unfolding of his eschat- eschatological kingdom, where he did some things in more frequently unusual ways. That should not strike us as problematic. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, let me also mention this. So really what this means is in our day-to-day life now, we don't see miracles happening with the frequency that we saw them in the past. It's really what I'm saying, okay? Mm -hmm. We're not saying it doesn't happen. We just don't see them with the same frequency we once saw them. But that doesn't mean that God is not upholding us or spiritually involved in our lives. So when people push back and say, where's God? This is precisely where us. And I said this in the last podcast, this is precisely where I think believers have how, now have to step up and say, no, I can tell you of how God is interacting in my life. And we should talk openly and freely about the spiritual interaction that we have and the communion that we have with God and the way that he leads us and the way that he guides for us and the way that he corrects us and cultivates us. Our spiritual lives and the stories associated with them are important parts of what we have to talk about. And so I think, I think we've got to share that because if that's true, then the argument is dead on arrival that God's not interacting with us and God's not showing up because Christians across the land, across the centuries could stand up and say, yes, he is. Let me tell you my story. Yeah, that's a really great point because I think, like you said, the really the question behind the question is where is God? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's and, right. And and we've picked one particular facet and mode to say, that's well, right. if this is negative, then all is negative, and that's clearly not true. That's right. We, we've asked the, the the question is being asked, where is God? And then there's an insistence that the only way you're allowed to answer that question is if right. you talk about miracles. Right. And what we're having to say here is, uh uh-uh. There are uh, lots of other ways as well that we could talk about this. And at the same time, we don't have to forfeit and say that, oh, God never does these miracles, because he does. But day to day, here's what he's doing every single day in our lives. Right. That's really good. Well, this has been super helpful. I appreciate this, Jamie. All right, man. Thanks, bro. All right. Thanks. Hey, everybody. This is Jamie and Joe again. 
If you like this podcast, would you leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts? That helps other people find it. And if you have any questions, we'd love to hear about them. Just go to jamiedew.com slash questions and send them in that way. And we'll take a look at the most frequently asked questions and give them a shot.